What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Aesthetic Insider Radio. This is your host, Angela O'Mara. Nowadays, obtaining a beautiful and vibrant youthful appearance is seen and understood differently by everybody. For some people, aesthetic beauty comes naturally. For others, a quick visit to a cosmetic surgeon can really make the world a difference. Today, I'm so excited to have Dr. Walter Tom, a cosmetic surgeon who practices in Santa Rosa, California, on the show with us today to discuss his unique educational and collaborative style of consultation with his patients that really helps him develop realistic, reasonable expectations which deliver, deliver excellent results and happy patients. Dr. Tom, welcome to Aesthetic Insider Radio. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Angela, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me here. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, for those listeners that are not yet familiar with you, Dr. Tom, it would be great if you could just give them a little bit of background about yourself and your practice, you know, there in Santa Rosa, and I know you have a couple of other locations, um, but perhaps we can just briefly discuss those. Well, I'd be happy to do that, Angela. So actually, I'm, I'm from uh, Michigan originally, and I moved out to California as a general vascular organ transplant surgeon, and that was in 1986. And I practiced that for 18 years. But in the past, when I was younger, I always was drawn to sort of the cosmetic world. And eventually, um, I sort of found that dream, if you will, realized that dream when I uh, created the Aesthetic Laser and Vein Centers uh, initially in Santa Rosa, California. Overlapped that for about five years, and now I've been practicing cosmetic surgery and medicine for the last 18 years. And as you had mentioned, I also have an office in Napa, and most recently in the last two years, now one on Maui. Mm, lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> very, very lucky me. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, within the aesthetic medical profession, you know, you are a recognized leader um, amongst surgeons and patients alike. And I, I know in your recent years, you're president of the California Academy of Cosmetic Surgery. And so, you know, you have become a leading expert in this, this arena. Um, so I would like to maybe talk about when you first started to where you are today, what, is it, what have you seen that is different in terms of patients, in terms of techniques and technologies? You know, what is the growth that you've witnessed in cosmetic surgery? Uh, that's a great question, Angela, because I started this in 1999, and the growth has been exponential. Uh, I mentioned earlier when you asked me how I got started, I was originally an organ transplant surgeon in the 80s, that was sort of the latest and greatest in technology, and so I'm always sort of drawn to uh, innovative thinking and techniques. When we started in 1999, we had a laser or two, maybe for laser hair removal, maybe for intense pulse light, for facial rejuvenation, or what we call photofacial treatments. But then we began to see really a development and really driven by consumer demand by our patients, what they wanted, um, sort of an evolving array of of techniques that become 
less invasive and delivering more. Uh, as uh, I, many times I will describe our society, we're sort of an ADD society. We don't really have any downtime. We want to have results, but we, but we want to be able to just carry on with our life as quickly as we can. So there's been a move towards less invasive procedures, or if you do need surgery, techniques that will sort of hasten the recovery for our patients. And so it's been pretty impressive. And then in terms of, um, you know, I, I really do want to spend some time just talking about the patient experience and, and, and what the, um, you know, your approach nowadays to surgery. But I did want to just touch a little bit on, um, you know, because now of your expertise and, and years that you've been doing this and, um, and, and this move towards less invasive procedures, um, are these procedures and techniques that you train other surgeons at your practice? Um, and if so, can you just chat about that for a moment? Absolutely. So we do, um, education is really key for me, and I, and I think that might be, I, I'm Chinese and Greek, but my Asian heritage is education mm-hmm. is so valued, and, and I'm so appreciative of those who have mentored me throughout my career and my different surgical careers. And so sharing knowledge, I think, is really important, and that's why I'm so proud to be part of and past president of the California Academy of Cosmetic Surgeons because we really pride ourselves in sharing in an open forum our knowledge amongst the different subspecialties of cosmetic surgery. So that is really um, a big part of what I like to do. It's part of my being, if you will. So we do host uh, workshops, hands-on workshops at our uh, at our office and our, our cosmetic center uh, where we have an accredited surgical facility. And so we teach various techniques of surgery in what is sort of unique, I believe, to my practice is that I do all of my procedures under local anesthesia. So none of our procedures require general anesthesia, and that is anywhere from performing liposuction and using the different laser techniques, as well as uh, tummy tucks and fat grafting, so fat grafting to the derriere, uh, the so-called Brazilian butt lift, uh, and to the face, uh, which is one of my favorite uh, treatments. It's kind of a niche of mine uh, that we try to avoid if you can the, the more formal facelifts. If somebody needs a facelift, we can certainly refer them to my colleagues who do excellent work, but uh, for me, I sort of have sub-selected out or have been sub-selected out by my patients, uh, those who kind of don't want to go that route and are looking for less invasive ways of rejuvenating their face. And and so let's talk about that for a moment because I, I, I'm sure our listeners would love to hear, you know, if there is a procedure that you offer that can maybe help them stave off or avoid a facelift altogether, um, that would be great. And so can we just talk for a moment about your niche procedure you mentioned? Absolutely. So I think first we have to start off, Angela, understanding that there's no one perfect solution there, uh, for any particular problem in life, and that also applies to cosmetic medicine and cosmetic surgery. So if, uh, if a, a patient, after, first of all, we need to listen to the patient, find out what are their concerns. It may not just be, it's not just about the wrinkle, for instance. It's really where are they in life? Why, why are they requesting maybe an alteration or an improvement in their cosmetic appearance? And I think if we listen to the patients and know what their motivation is, we can help them to achieve that. Part of being a cosmetic surgeon, in my opinion, is actually being a little bit of a therapist in terms of trying to help the patients to achieve uh, their ultimate goals. 
when we um, approach a patient, I try to educate them, spend about an hour with them in a consultation, uh, that it's usually a multimodal or a multiple treatment, multiple therapy kind of approach to their issues. Uh, some of the simplest things that we do is we'll look at the eyes, for instance, and, and we know that when we interact with people, and Angela, I've had the, the good fortune to be able to meet with you at meetings or various meetings and all, and, and when we talk, we are looking each other in the eyes. And that's where we get our first impression. So many times can be something very simple as Botox or Dysport or the other neuromodulators uh, between the eyes, treating the frown or in the crow's feet area, which really not just treating the wrinkles, but what it does is help to open up the eyes. Uh, and, and so that's really, in my opinion, the, the first step is trying to open up the eyes uh, so that that interaction can have more of that wide-eyed, happy look. Um, it always harkens me back to a study that was done. Um, uh, it was actually a social science study where they used uh, Botox to treat the frown area, and they looked at clinically depressed patients, and they did half of them. They gave Botox to the frown area, and the other half, uh, they did not treat them with Botox, and they sent them back out into the world. And when they retested them, the people who were uh, treated with Botox were found to be clinically a little less depressed. And the theory was not that Botox specifically ruled help to lessen their depression, but it was really the theory of the mirror phenomena, and that is where um, if we don't look angry, we don't look tired, we look more approachable, we get a reflection, a mirror reflection or a reaction from those around us in the same way, and so it helps to make that person feel better, feel more uplifted, feel happier. And I always will tell our patients, if you are waiting in line at, uh, at a checkout counter, uh, maybe at a clothing store, and there's one, um, uh, one checkout person who's smiling and another one who's scowling, which line do you get into? And, of course, we all get into the line where the person is smiling uh, if it's not too, too long. And, <laughs> uh, and so that's usually the approach that I first use is try to open up the eyes. Then secondly, what we do is we look uh, minimally invasively, we look at the skin because when we interact with people, part of it is we're evaluating people in terms of their health. We think of attractiveness as maybe being pretty or handsome, but really um, deep down what we're looking at is does that person look healthy? And it goes to the old medieval days when maybe poor skin was a reflection of disease, okay? And we didn't want to be around people who had diseases. We wanted to be around healthy individuals. So it may be something as good as medical-grade skincare products and maybe as simple as exfoliation with peels, with hydrofacials, and maybe something as simple as with microneedling. We use PRP, which helps to improve the texture of the skin, and maybe as simple as some various laser treatments in order to improve the appearance of the skin, which gives us a healthier look. Then at that point, and, uh, if I may, then we begin to look at the overall sort of the face. And what I like to do is I look at looking at it globally in 3D. Usually what happens as we age is that our faces deflate. So there are various ways of sort of reinflating, if you will, the face, and that can be with fillers, which are shorter acting, or my niche comes in, and, and what you were asking me originally with your question is that of facial fat grafting, where under local anesthesia, we harvest through a mini lipo procedure fat from one part of the body, and then we strategically place it in the face to restore uh, in a female the heart-shaped face or the triangle of beauty, which gives them a, a, a healthier, more vibrant look, or in men, where we give 
give them more of a uh, square jaw, but we give them a sort of a revolumization of the face. And what I really love about that technique is it's a very natural look. So, so would you say, in terms of your niche, um, obviously the the overall approach that you have, but let's talk a little bit more about the, the facial fat grafting because, as you you mentioned, you know how the face tends to deflate, which I'm assuming is because of loss of fat as we age, and then your your technique that you use is to replace what is lost and store more volume to the face. Um, how does that how does that work, and how do patients feel about it? Well, the patients, I think, that have the procedure done really love that. And, and obviously, as with anything, patient selection is important. If you have somebody that just needs some minor tweaks, they get a phenomenal result. If you have somebody who has maybe neglected their, their facial concerns for many years, they're going to absolutely get an improvement, but it may not be as great as the person who is sort of entering into the cosmetic uh, interventions a little bit earlier. So what I do is uh, when we look at the face is basically we, again, want to frame the eyes. And so many times as the face deflates, as you mentioned, Angela, is that the brow, um, the upper brow area becomes a little bit more bony-like and it hangs down looking like a more tired look at the face. We begin to lose fat underneath the eyes. And so by restoring fat under the eyes, we improve what I call the reflection surface there. When it's deflated, the light from the sun or from the, um, from the fluorescent lights in a room hit below the eye and they bounce down to the floor, so it makes the under eye area look darker. But as you revolumize that area with fat, it brings the skin back up or reflection surface so that when the light hits there, it bounces up into the eyes and you get more of a sparkle in the eye. In order to help with that framing process around the eyes, you usually have to add a little fat in what we call the cheek or the malar area. And so we all remember when we were younger, even if we were very thin as as youngsters, that we had probably fuller cheeks. In fact, a lot of times I'll say to the patient, you probably didn't even like it when you were a teenager. And most of them say, you know, you're right. I thought my face was too fat. And now they realize it was really a sign of sort of that youthful vibrancy. So by adding fat under the, in the cheek area helps to support the eye framework, if you will, and along the cheekbone. And that makes a big difference in terms of lifting the face up. I find that quite fascinating how you say because of the light and how the light hits the, hits the skin, um, and specifically how with you know more vibrant, youthful, plumper skin on the, of the face, the light hits and reflects back in the eyes and makes the eyes look like they're sparkling more, which is it, it, a sign of youth. <laughs> you know? it, it really does. And as you know, most yeah. of us, um, when we smile, our eyes sort of sparkle, okay, no matter how we look. And that's because as we smile, we, as we smile, our facial muscles pull up our fat and, uh, and pulls our cheeks up. And so what we've done is we've created, again, that reflection surface, if you will, uh, even with our eyes crinkling, even if when we smile, we kind of we squint our eyes a little bit, they sparkle because we bring that cheek pad up and the light bounces off that and then bounces directly up into the eyes. And that's where we get the sparkle when we smile. That's brilliant. Brilliant. Well, well, um, yeah, I've never, I've never heard it explained that way. So I think that makes perfect sense. And, and now you can kind of see when you, you do, you can see before and after pictures of patients um, who have had facial contouring and you know, not only are they happy with their appearance afterwards, but maybe they're getting that added sparkle because of this reflection that you mentioned. That's absolutely correct. Yes, that's oh, true. Right. 
That's great. Well, Dr. Tom, we're about halfway through our show, and um, I, I know there's so many other questions I have for you and so many things I would like to chat about. And, and you know, we have talked about this, um, the niche facial procedure that you have, but I, I do understand that there's kind of another niche that you have there in the practice, and that is in specifically with um, the mommy makeovers. Um, is that something we can talk about for a few minutes? Absolutely. would love to do that. So, um, you know, it's, I mean, being a mom is probably one of the most wonderful things in the world, but as, as you may know, is that uh, many times afterwards that what happens is that the young ladies and older ladies, it's interesting, we should call them mommy makeovers, but I think sometimes we should call them grandma makeovers because we get <laughs> women from their 20s into their 60s and even into their 70s who want a makeover, if you will. And what happens is, is with the pregnancy, we see the changes in the body that we all know about. And the patients, if you sit and you talk to them, is that they just feel less feminine. They love being a mom. They, they don't regret that at all, but they just feel less feminine. And so there are different things that we can do to help them. Mommy makeover is kind of a generic phrase that we use in, when we kind of promote our procedures. But really, what is it all about? Well, it's making the mom feel better about themselves. So if you just sort of look at their overall body image, if you look at their body image, Usually, it's the loss of the waist, so it may be volume of fat around the abdomen and the waist and what we call the back area, the flanks in that area there. Uh, and so many times, it may be something as simple as some liposuction performed under local anesthesia, and we use a form of laser liposuction, originally the original with smart lipo, and I know there are other energy techniques can be utilized. But basically, by reducing the volume of fat in the abdominal area, the waist, and the flank area, we restore what we call that a, a waist-to-hip ratio, okay? And everybody has a different idea of what that should be, and it depends culturally on different people. Uh, Latinas, it may be a narrow waist and wider hips, and an Asian population, it may be uh, a little bit more straight, if you will, uh, and the Caucasian somewhere in between uh, as just an example of, of how the cultures can change uh, what the expectations are. But basically, by restoring a more feminine or youthful or, if you will, healthier waist-to-hip ratio, we can help a mother to feel much better about themselves. Uh, if they have excess skin, then, that, of course, that's where we talk about doing tummy tucks. And so the bottom line on that would be to remove excess skin surgically, of course, and, uh, and, and we find that many of the moms uh, really appreciate having that done. If the muscle laxity is uh, part of the mother's um, overall body image projection, then we can certainly tighten up the muscles uh, with uh, suturing the muscles tighter if that need be. Uh, however, I have to say that uh, probably a little bit different from my colleagues, and I and I try to and I test the patients as much as I can, having them do a sort of a modified sit-up with them lying down on an exam table and really checking their muscles. Uh, that a lot of times mommies actually don't need to have that muscle tightening, uh, but that can still be done even under local anesthesia, should that be required. And then in terms of like breast procedures, um, is that also part of the mommy makeover? A grandma's makeover technique. <laughs> grandma makeover, absolutely. And so uh, it, usually it's two issues. It can be just simple deflation of the breast, which is related to pregnancy and breastfeeding. And with that, um, many times a simple uh, breast augmentation with the breast implants uh, can 
work wonders for the patients. It's so interesting because I have done breast augmentation on fellow surgeons, doctors, uh, on dentists, on police officers, uh, as well as uh, attorneys. And these are strong women, Angela. And it's always very interesting when they come back in to see me, they'll say, you know, Dr. Tom, I didn't think I was lacking for self-confidence at all. But since I've had my augmentation, I absolutely have more jump in my step. And that's really what is most rewarding for me. Um, Breast augmentation has one of the highest satisfaction rates of all the cosmetic procedures that we do. Uh, And so it is definitely part of the armamentarium of what we offer for women who are looking for a mommy or her grandmother makeover. Sometimes, again, then, as we talked about the the body, where it was liposuction to contour the waist, but they may need a tummy tick if they have excess skin. If there's a fair amount of droop or what we call ptosis of the breast, then a lift would be required. And so for those patients, especially if they have a significant drooping of the breast, uh, they can be some of my happiest patients, actually, uh, the uh, young ladies and, and the grandmas who undergo a breast lift. I would imagine so. Now, do you ever have patients in this realm that are, that come into you, like you had, you had mentioned earlier, like you know, you have the patients do this modified sit-up so you can test the strength of the muscles. Um, do you ever have the patients where you recommend that they lose a little bit of weight before they have a procedure or they do a little bit more gym time prior to a procedure, or it, is that not really required? So I think what we have to do is we have to remember um, it's not one size fits all. We really need to see where the patient is. Obviously, health-wise, understanding liposuction and a tummy tuck, it's not supposed to be for weight reduction. And so somebody is morbidly obese or is is unhealthy in the amount of weight that they carry around, Absolutely, we're going to encourage them to see their doctors. They may need other procedures done to help them to get them down to a healthier weight. But then when we look at patients, it really depends on their expectations. Some people are just bigger. I always relate it to um, dinosaurs when I talk to people, you know, especially with guys. I'll say, you know, some guys are Tyrannosaurus rexes, and then some guys are raptors, and I'm a raptor. As much as I'd like to be a Tyrannosaurus rex, I'm a raptor. And, and it's the same thing with men. So if a woman is her stocky or bigger build, we don't expect her necessarily to be as thin as somebody who has a thinner bone structure. But what we try to do is find out, in my opinion, where do we think the patient is going to be able to live comfortably? Are they going to be able to maintain this weight? Are they going to be able to maintain this lifestyle of maintaining that weight and health? And so we try to make a compromise to see where we can get them to be the closest. So we do recommend that they do work out, try to improve their lifestyle, but we don't want them to go to such extremes that they're not going to be able to maintain that half a procedure and then revert back to a lifestyle that kind of negates the whole effect of the surgery that we perform for them. Yeah, well, that makes absolute sense, um, of course. And, and I think overall, and you mentioned earlier that even in the face of the procedure, you know, it really is that evaluation during the consultation to make sure that what you are suggesting in terms of a treatment plan is the most appropriate for the, the patient in, at the, in the moment. Um, you know, we're talking uh, obviously a lot about female faces and female bodies, um, but you know, can we talk about the guys for a few minutes? I'm sure there's some absolutely for the, for the men in the lives of these lovely ladies that you treat. 
<laughs> Definitely. Uh, we find for body contouring for a lot of uh, the gentlemen uh, that actually they don't like what we call the muffin top, uh, which is sort of that fat hanging over the backside of our jeans. And they are usually great candidates for doing liposuction in that area. Uh, and so I would probably say that in terms of body image, that's the area that I see uh, uh, most addressed for men is sort of the ab- abdomen and the uh, flank area or the muffin top area. That is definitely an area that we take care of quite a bit. Uh, for men facially, what we have to remember is that they are different in that men tend to have square jaws, have uh, instead of the uh, heart-shaped face, it's more of an oval face. And so we don't want to, for most men, they don't want to have their face feminized. So we need to keep that in mind. We don't use the same techniques that we would in terms of using filler and even neuromodulators like Botox and Dysport on them. We always have to keep in mind what the patient is looking for. Having said that, we also want to educate the patients and and let them know that for men is that men can have masculine faces and they can have feminine faces as well. And a lot of times what I'll do is I'll show an example of uh, two guys who look great, George Clooney and Brad Pitt, and I'll let you guess, Angela, one looks more masculine (laughs) and one actually has a more feminine face, and they're both absolutely handsome gentlemen that I think any of us would like to look like. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, and I would say, you know, George Clooney tops my my top of my list. There is most manly. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Well, and you pick the masculine sure looking face. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. There you go. And and so you know, uh, every so you, you try to address that more for whatever the particular look of that patient is. Yeah, yeah, great. Well, Doctor, tell me about five more minutes left on the show, and I and I would like to ask, especially for your Santa Rosa patients and Napa, because it is close enough. Um, what would you say are the current? Um, I don't know if we if we have time to cover the top ten procedures, but what are the current top procedures in cosmetic surgery? Well, I'm going to say that if we include medical as well, that, of course, it's going to be Botox and fillers, so the Restylane and Juvederm fillers that we have. That's going to be, those are going to be the top. Then we're probably looking at improving skin, and so that's going to be with photofacials. Intense pulse light is one of my favorites. It's been around the longest, but it's probably one of the best treatments out there for the appropriate skin type patient uh, is what I'd like to see. And then microneedling with PRP, which is platelet-rich plasma, which has growth factors, healing factors, I think that's really has just really almost jumped to the top in terms of non-invasive treatments for our patients in terms of the non-invasive. In terms of surgery for women, it's still breast augmentation and tummy tucks, what I find for the women. For the men, it's liposuction. Uh, and I'm not sure that I got to the top ten, but I think that's, that's pretty good. Yeah, you really did. Just for a second, um, for our listeners who are not familiar with the PRP, can you explain a little bit about just kind of how that works and what it benefits? Absolutely. So um, PRP is um, serum from our blood, and it contains various healing factors. In fact, I like to just call it the paramedics of the body. 
So, uh, if, and that's actually, we all remember as little kids, you know, running around like wild banshees, we get a scab on our knee, and then we run around some more and knock the scab off, and we can see sort of that yellowish serum come up. That's, the, that's our serum with PRP in it, and that's healing up the body. That's what scar tissue or what scabs are. So we use that to help to rejuvenate the skin when we do the microneedling, so little tiny uh, tunnels are made in the, in the skin, and the PRP helps for the collagen formation. I use it for fat grafting because it improves the longevity of the fat and also improves the texture of the skin. Uh, we also can use it in combination with our fillers, and it's helped to in, improve the longevity of fillers as well as improve the appearance of the skin. And we do use it in hair transplants as well. We didn't mention that for men, but that's a very common procedure that we do for both men and women. And we soak the hair follicles in the PRP, or we can actually inject PRP in an area where there's a lack of hair, and it can many times stimulate hair growth in that area. It's really phenomenal. I mean, you, you've seen such great changes in the, the last couple of decades of your career. And uh, it's exciting to see where the future of cosmetic surgery is actually going to go. It really is, and actually that's what's keeping me young. I've been at this game for a while. Let the the listeners try to figure out how old I am, and I, I am a little bit older than I am younger, uh, but it, it's really the excitement of the specialty that uh, keeps me young. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and so just one last question I have for you, because obviously I, I know you have a great professional reputation, and and you know, and you're very well known with, within the industry and, and within that whole Northern California area. Um, but but I do understand with you know in in today's market in today's economy, the new patient um, finding new patients getting new patients is not easy for some doctors and you seem to not lack in that area which I can only assume is because of referrals and referrals from physicians referrals from happy patients so um, how would a how would a patient refer to you or would somebody refer to you as a new patient? Well. You know, obviously, um, you know, to call in to talk to us uh, or to go online and contact us is one way that they can do that. I think they have to understand that we understand when a patient walks through our door, and I think that's a key, you have to understand that they are very vulnerable when they come in to see us. Okay, they are bringing something they don't like about themselves to us. And if we could recognize that and treat them like we would want to be treated, I know it's very simple, just something our fam our parents have taught us, that if you can do that, you will see your practices grow. And we've been very fortunate. I Many times in social media when I post something about our staff, I always have it read hashtag always hire nice, and I think that's really the key to our success. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, well, Dr. Tom, for um, those listeners that would like to get in touch with you or any members of our audience wants to connect with you in the practice, what is the best number and website for them to reach? Well, I would have them call 707-542-8346, so that's 707-542-8346. And to make it easy, they can just go on our website at www.drwaltertom.com. Great. Well, Dr. Tom, thank you so much for being on Aesthetic Insider Radio. I would absolutely love to have you back on the show again as a guest at some point in the future. This has been kind of the tip of the iceberg, I think, and there's, there's so many more things that we can discuss. But again, thank you so much for your time, and it's been a pleasure having you on Aesthetic Insider Radio. Thank you, Angela. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.